do whatever you need to do to get warmed up physically and so on and so forth. And then you've got one shot and you've got to pick a shot on the range. And that's the shot because we couldn't get on the course for whatever reason. You've got a shot here. And if you hit that shot, well, then you, you earn five more shots. But if you don't, you sit down. You don't get to practice. And he was like, but I'm here to practice. I know. Well, well, then you've got to earn the right to practice. And it changed the intensity of the session in in the blink of an eye. And then all of a sudden it, it went from, you know, we were there for two hours, but it wasn't two hours filled with shot after shot after shot. It went, it was built around, well, this shot matters now. And then, he, you know, inevitably he missed a shot or whatever. And it was like, okay, well, you got to sit out. Well, I feel like I'm doing nothing now. Well, okay, well, then you got to make sure that the next time you're over a shot, it matters. So, You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. If you follow along on Twitter, Instagram, Golf Science Lab, or, or myself, you probably saw a message asking for your practice plans to get reviewed. Well, guess what? I wasn't kidding. That is just what we're doing on this podcast here today. We are taking a look at someone's practice plan. We're going to take a look at it and then break it down, seeing what he's doing really well and what he could improve on. This is a, a super fun exercise. And we're actually thinking about doing this on a regular basis. So if you head over to the post that goes along with this episode on our website or email hey at golfsciencelab.com, maybe we'll pick one of your practice plans to review for a future episode. We're going to try to do this once a month. The sponsor for today's episode is Gravity Fit. Gravity Fit is a great feedback device and they're helping to fill the white space between knowing what is happening in your golf swing and actually making a change. As motor learning and effective practice is heating up, Gravity Fit is making equipment and instructional content that fits squarely into this space by providing real-time feedback on posture and movement quality. PGA Tour winner Cameron Smith is a huge advocate for their products, using them for anything from gym work to pre-round warm-up to hitting full shots on the range. Cam realizes the importance of being provided with consistent feedback on his posture and movement, simply going through his usual routines or really trying to make a technical change. Cam knows there's a strong relationship between his body moving right and his ball striking and gravity fit is a key part of ensuring that he is on the right track. The feedback that Gravity Fit really gives is fantastic. Check out how it works. The best thing that you can do is watch a video. We have one over on our site, golfsciencelive.com slash gravity fit. We have a bunch of videos there. You can head over to gravityfit.com to learn more. They have an article on there so you can see how Cam incorporates Gravity Fit into his prep. Today, we are joined by some names you'll recognize. They're all part of a new voice in golf. Golf OTEC. OTEC stands for On the Edge of Chaos. And they want to revolutionize the way that we view practice and learning and have some awesome education and plans coming out to help you do that. If you are a coach and you're passionate about this topic of learning, make sure to check out their new 12-week course they're doing starting on February 15th. Uh, you can use the coupon code GSL for a discount. Golf Tech. Appreciate it. That'll be linked up on the post along with this. But let's run through a quick intro with the guys. If you don't know them, we'll start with Peter Arnott. How are we doing? Uh, yeah, 
obviously been on a few times before. Golf coach in Edinburgh, just finished my master's in kind of skill acquisition. I basically had to practice properly and yeah, that's that's me. Love it. Graham, let's go to you. Yeah, hi Cordy. I'm a higher education lecturer in um, golf and sport based in Scotland. I'm a PGA professional, member of the PGA Great Britain. I had a master's degree in skill acquisition, specifically in the ecological dynamics area um, of talent development. And uh, we've kind of been working with high-performance golfers, applying the constraints-led approach now for probably 10 years with our uh, high-performance elite-level players at the, at the college and you know other golfers of a similar ability around Scotland. So that's kind of my background. Perfect. Our other recent contributor, Dr. Ed Coughlin, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Cordy. Ed here. Yeah, a bit like the lads, just a, a practice coach, PhD in skill acquisition that actually focused a lot on kind of the opera, operationalization of deliberate practice. How do we actually make that test the theory, challenge the theory, make the theory actually work, advance the theory, but all in the space of actually transfer, uh, practice transfer to see can we actually drill down a little bit further into things so that people don't waste time when they're trying to actually get better. And I suppose of recent years, really happy to be going down some very interesting rabbit holes in the golf space, just trying to figure stuff out myself, but also help some golfers figure stuff out as well along the way. Ian, could you do like a little bio so people can recognize your voice? Okay, so um, I'm Associate Professor in Skill Acquisition at, at QUT, which is in Brisbane in Queensland in Australia. My background, as people might pick up from my voice, is, is from England. I was a, a PE teacher many, many decades ago. Then went into higher education, did a master's degree in coaching in, in Scotland, in Edinburgh, with a guy called John Lyle, who was fantastic. Then did a PhD, basically, in cricket, um, which would be a bit of a surprise to Americans, I guess. But mainly all about perception action. I, we, all my work is in constraint-led approaches and basing work on the ecological dynamics so we're just trying to put some ideas together at the moment trying to make this stuff available for coaches so that they can use it rather than using sort of the dense sort of theoretical language we have to when we're working in academia so today we are hearing from a gsl listener who emailed in his practice plan his name is christian and we have posted this plan on the website so that you can view it but Here's the quick rundown and we'll get started. We're going to start with a really good one because I think we're going to be more complimenting this individual's practice plan than critiquing it and talking about why it's effective. But here's a little bit of, a little bit of background. 11 handicapper, 51 years old, started golf in 2011, right-handed lefty. I usually do only have the weekend to practice and play. So it's usually one day practice plus a few holes and one day 18 holes. So Wintertime in Germany, where he is, and here's what his range session looks like. Five minutes warming up, stretching squats, 10 to 15 minutes relaxed pitches, 50 to 70 meters towards various objects on the range. Target is to get it inside a five meter circle around the object. I want that to feel effortless. And then I continue with the pitching wedge and nine iron until I think I'm finally warmed up and have a feel for the ball, trying to hit it straight to a target. So that is his kind of warm up to get ready to practice. What do we think about that? Not everyone at once. I'll jump in. Um, this is Ed here. Um, yeah, it sounds like a nice kind of graded, graded warm up. In fairness, for someone 
who's taken up the game only only recently. Some nice bit of thought has got into uh, into a warm up. The one thing I'm trying to encourage people to do is even in the warm up, are there cognitive elements of the game that they can that they can layer into their warm up? So yes, physically, there's things that are going to have to happen for quite a while to get the body warmed up physically. You know, be it with the musculature and how that moves and so on and so forth. But I always, I kind of stress as much as I can to wake up the brain nice and quickly. That can be challenged very quickly in, in a warm up for me in the way that the body might need a little bit more time, uh, depending on the age profile and so on and so forth. But the, the brain can, that can be put under pressure pretty quickly for me. What does that mean? How does that look? It means that even with the lazy wedges that people will do just to kind of loosen out and just nice, you know, just little 50, 50 yarder uh, shots that you're still trying to even then lock in and, uh, some of the nice strategies around the quiet eye, lock in some nice strategies around that kind of external focus and just not wait till you're fully physically warmed up before you do that. And, and basically, if there's something that your body do, and is ready to do, like, as I said, the cognitive side of, of it, well, go straight in, dive straight into that space so that you are, again, maximizing the time that you're, that you're investing in yourself on the, on the practice ground. I think it's important to warm up mentally, isn't it? Or tuning into your environment as well and getting yourself in that place and feeling, feeling comfortable in that place. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would also just kind of say on that, you know, do, do we know how quickly yeah. you need to kind of do that? Should that be something, and we've talked about this kind of transfer to the performance context, is that something, do we know, is that something you should be doing right off the bat or or, or not? I mean, this, this looks like the guy's just trying to get kind of loosened off here. Mm. Um, is there any negative to, to, to that if he, if he is neglecting the cognitive side? I'm not, not sure I know the answer to that. I don't know why tuning into the environment would have a detrimental effect cognitively. Yeah. You're tuning into your environment, to your tasks ahead. So the sooner you can put yourselves in those environments, the better. I guess you can't get out on the court, so you can't see yourself or you can't put yourself in the situations and actually see yourself doing it. But you probably have in the practice games the day before if you're on a tour. Or can you start to use some imagery? and actually imagine the first couple of shots or the first hole or whatever. I'm sure a lot of golfers would do that intuitively, really. What, what does tuning into your environment mean? How would I do that? Yeah, great question. <laughs> I think people, when people play well, they feel as though they belong in the environment. So whatever it takes to make you feel as though you're there, you're part of it, you're immersed in it, that would be my, my take on that. We see, I've seen evidence from people who go to sort of one-off events like the Olympics and Worlds and Athletics Championships who have pictures of, of the, the venue and the, the place where they're going to compete on their walls, you know, years in advance so that they feel as though they've been there, feel as though they belong. So it's familiar to them to get there. And um, by doing that, I don't know what evidence there is not on an experimental level, but to me, it makes intuitive sense. That's a really interesting point, uh, actually, Ian. I, I was away recently working with a guy, and it, this idea actually came up where I began to notice that he has 
he has a brilliant capacity to figure out the course and the the run of the place quickly. And mm. I and, and through our conversations realized it was just a really good skill that he has. It's not we could very easily just, you know, brush it off as, oh, you're just innately able to do this. And oh, you're just, mm. you know, but but actually it's not. But this is a world class skill that this guy has. And it's not by accident that he does it. His process when he gets to a course or a range, a chipping area, pitching area, is very much, it's almost, and I know this would sound a bit a bit funny, but it's almost like a meditative process mm. he goes through to become at one with the area around him. It was remarkable to see a guy who, you know, early morning session on it in a pitching area and within one pitch, gets the run of the greens, knows exactly the pace of the greens after just the first pitch, you know, gets a, a real feel of the grain of the greens after the first pitch that that I know as 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 a plugger like me, it would take me, I don't know how many pitches to to get that. Oh. But but to actually see somebody and and, and again, I, I had to stop myself from thinking, oh, that's just something you're really good at. No, actually, it's a, it's a skill that this guy has has refined over time because if you i remember even just talking to him about well how did you get so good at your shotgun he said well just from playing around messing trying to figure out crazy shots and that so so that almost gave me a little insight into well that's it. that is a way to develop a skill about how to attune yourself to your environment quickly is to well just do, don't just do the same thing over and over again try and do a variety of different things in that environment to give yourself as much feedback from that environment as quickly as possible and especially for, for for golfers where you see they'll finish an event on a we- Sunday, they'll travel Monday, they'll arrive on a Tuesday, there's a pro-am Wednesday and they've got to play on Thursday. You know, it's there's not that much time to really get to the speed of the place. Unlike, you know, you compare it to Formula One where they have days <clears> of practice and then they have simulators and then they've got their Q3, Q2, 1, 2 and 3. And you know what I mean? Golf doesn't have that amount of time and... I think yeah. that is a skill that people would would be worth you know investing time in to how how quickly can I attune myself to a new environment? Well, it's, it, I, I don't want to confuse this with comfort. Just want to clarify this: you're not saying that you need to be comfortable because a lot of times it's it's very uncomfortable, right? Yeah, it's not about comfort. It's actually just about reading. It's about letting the environment speak to you. I don't know that very <laughs> shaman shamanic like, but yeah. it is it is it is actually. You know, going going to the range and a bit like we were saying at the start, going to the range and actually before you even hit a shot at all, in a sense of, well, how cold is it? What is the wind doing? How much dew is on the ground? What? Just letting it just talk to you, you know? So next, after the warm up, he's going to work on his strike. And he mentions the Adam Young strike plan here. So he tends to hit a lot of shots towards the heel. So he'll set up a ball or an object and try to hit it with the toe. Uh, when it's dry outside, he puts tape on the club face and tries to hit it alternating between the toe middle heel. He tries to hit it flush after hovering above the ball, place the ball extremely towards left or right foot and still strike it well. So kind of some strike improvement exercises. And it sounds like getting himself out of just, you know, his comfort zone, typical kind of stuff. Yeah. What do we think about those kind of exercises? Yeah, I think we, we can can be extremely useful. Just uh, I would uh, again awareness of and be able to manipulate basically the golf club and what it can and can't do, and and 
generally I'll see a lot of the better golfers being able to call the shot before they even they, they see where the ball flight's going so that you know, kind of attunement, that feel of what the golf club's doing and where they've struck it in the face you would normally see with higher handicappers they've got no idea where they've hit it in the face or where the ball's going to go so yeah, the, the more awareness you can get get of what that golf club's doing, great, I think they're, they're great, great jobs So you like this idea of potentially doing something strange like trying to hit it off the heel, trying to hit it off the toe you know, put it ways toward the left or right, or yeah. I've 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 had a Stuart Armstrong, the guy that does a podcast, Talent Equation. He they we had a little bit of an argument about like hitting an intentional shank, and I'm not a, a big fan of that because it doesn't offer you any information because you know it just goes straight right. But if you hit it off the heel, it does offer you. It shows you when you look up, it it does a certain ball flight. You know, hit the middle or the toe. Yeah, so. I wouldn't potentially go to extremes with us, but yeah, yeah. The, the more more awareness you you've got of what that tool essentially is in your hand, the more you can kind of fix it on the golf course as well, I presume. Yeah, I liken it. I liken it to a photographer gets a new piece of kit, and one of the first things, and I, I'm not. This is not for all. I'm just going on 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 an experience of one person that I know who did this, but it fascinated me got a new piece of kit and it could do, it had like a hundred different functions. And basically he went and took, got a photograph that he wanted to take. And he took the same photograph with each and every one of those functions <clears throat> and took a note after each one about, okay, that was that with, with, with that, you know, aperture and whatever, all the different functions. And then went to process all the photographs to see the impact of each function on the exact same photograph to just get to know his, his, his toolkit, essentially. Yeah. So then he, he knew. So again, doing, hitting off the toe, hitting off the heel for the sake of it, I'm not, I don't, I don't have any comment on that, but doing it to know, to get an idea of what it feels like so that if you actually do it in a, in a round unintentionally, you're never going to do it intentionally, but it, but it happens. And then for you to actually be able to process that properly so that you don't, go berserk for the next time you have that, you know, uh, I had a six iron in the last hole and I hit it off the heel. What's wrong with my swing? Oh no. Oh, and two holes later. Oh no, I have another six iron. I better not hit it off the heel. No, just for you to realize, okay, there's no, there's no major surgery required here. That can just happen. And I know what I can do to maybe avoid it from happening. Let's say there's a lot of merit in that. And that's, and again, like, as you said, Cordy at the start, this guy's practice is it's pretty solid. You know, he's, he's thinking, can't fault anyone for actually putting a, some good common sense thoughts behind their practice. Yeah, I would I would add just a couple of points. Kind of agree with the, the, the guys there. I think there's, you know, in theory, some good good stuff there. We're trying to get a sense of where the club is in space and time and awareness of the implement we're using to strike this golf ball with. I think when you add in some representative information, it maybe gets a little bit more complicated. And you know, get again, you're, you're off a downhill lie in the first hole. You've got a seven iron in your hands, and it's not a great lie. And the wind's off the right. You know, how does this information help you? I, I would say I'm, I'm fairly unclear on that. You know, I'd be a kind of guy, even to this day as a non-golfer now, but, you know, played in the past that I could kind of kind of do all this stuff pretty well in the range. Lo- loads of funky stuff. And, and then going to the golf course and, you know, miss a green by 40 yards with a seven iron in my hands. From a perfect flat lie, you know, and it's like the, the Jeff, Jeff Ogilvy story. If he realised his practice was wrong when, 
you could hit the 200 marker five times in a row with a, with a five iron and then go down the first of a five iron in his hand and miss, miss the green by 30 yards. I'm not sure that, how accurate that, that story is in terms of my recollection of the bits along those lines. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of interested in this kind of, this transfer to the to the golf course when all these other variables are starting to hit you, you know, even even things like not even liking who you're playing with. How do you make sense of that information when you've got kind of that 45 second, 50 second window to get the club out of the bag and actually execute? Mm. I think that's where it gets a little bit a few few grey areas there perhaps. And there's some there's some good live examples of this currently on tour. Like Shane Lowry won in the Abu Dhabi, the Abu Dhabi championships there on Sunday and Paul McGinley was commentating and he was saying the high high intensity competitions that himself and Patrick Harrington and a couple of the players have on tour anytime they're on tour together of a week it is the most intense competition around the pitching and chipping green that these guys go through and it is you know whoever goes first they set out the shot and then it's everyone you know nearest the hole and all this and they it is as 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 Patrick was as Paul McGinley said in his commentary it, it it gets incredibly intense because it matters to them because it's, you know, and I know this would sound funny for millionaires, but it's like, well, you're buying lunch and they, they do not fundamentally do not want to buy lunch for the other guy, <laughs> but the practice that they're in and the positions that they're and and he, and he even said it in the commentary, it's off horrible lies. It's off perfect lies, you know, and yet over the four days of that championship, I lost count of the amount of times that the competitor says probably the best guy with a wedge in his hand in the world at the moment around a green is Shane Lowry. And yet you hear then that's how he practices by having highly intense, very variable chipping competitions with fellow pros, you know? Yeah. Let's carry on. So that was kind of his strike improvement. Good, generally good uh, ball flight exercise. Then he takes times hitting draws and fades towards specific targets with different irons, low, medium, high draws, fades, etc. This is a very common exercise. What do you think about this for? He's an 11 handicapper, 51 years old, has played golf for seven years now. He plays, you know, one day he practices and then one day he plays each week. What do you think about this kind of exercise in the context of that skill level and that kind of... Um, time availability so, so just being clear as he hits how many how many shots is, are being being executed here there's 20 minutes six shapes low medium high fades draws right okay i'm, I'm not entirely clear what how many shots are getting executed in, in, in this time it may be clearly there's evidence here of trying to put functional variability in here because you know and arguably more variability is a good idea if you've got a bigger repertoire, you've got more potential solutions to potential problems that you might face. Okay, so highly developed players might have that kind of um, multi-stability or high variability where they've, they've got all of these kind of potential solutions. And if that's what the guy's going for, that's uh, that's maybe something there that you could say there's merit in that. And playing off a living, you might think that a stable performance could be achieved maybe quicker with just having a kind of just an absolute stock shot where, you know, I kind of, if I can just execute one shot on, on demand, then I can strategize my way around the golf course on that. And I think the kind of cognitive side of that and the decision-making side is perhaps um, underrepresented in this practice practice schedule. So, you know, you could argue, and I'm sure the guys will pick up on this, is that, you know, maybe this guy's going for too much variability at this level of performance and maybe better to 
would be better of trying to maybe just having a little bit some variability, but not not too much, and just try and maximise maximise what he's got around a couple of shots because that might be easier to acquire, retain, transfer onto the golf course. Might be my thinking on that if I was critiquing it. And we keep going, you know, the next part of his thing does the ball foot exercise. Then he's got a movement session where, you know, based on some input from his club pro, he has a few bad swing habits. He tends to stand up in the backswing, raising his arms really high at impact. His hips are hardly open. And so basically focuses on keeping his hands lower and squatting a bit towards the end of the backswing in order to move up at impact and turn, turn, turn. I do this for 10 minutes and try to ignore strike quality during that time. So that's kind of where he goes next. That's an interesting one now, and it's it's from listening to all the other elements of his practice. But it's it, it's it's it sounds, and I only had a meeting last night with with three other coaches um, in a different sport altogether, and we were talking about how how really difficult it is to change a behavior, and this is even with young people how difficult it is to change a behavior to get a new behavior to become the new behavior. Let's say, and it, our best way we we were chatting was saying to try and just have a session where there's one big block that you just want to do well on. Whereas this practice session now is turning into the practice session that has everything in it. And there is a fear of kind of spreading yourself too thin. Each individual section of the practice, you know, that you can't, you know, everyone's entitled to the, uh, how they practice stuff. But when you're trying to put everything into a practice, it's a bit like, you know, you're working with a football team and we're going to do defense and then we're going to do attack and then we're going to do corners and then we're going to do set pieces and then we're going to, it's just, there's got to be some days you go down a few rabbit holes to really do some deep work on some things. And again, this is, this, you know, we're, we're, we're having a chat about some where we're only just hearing, hearing it for the yeah. first time, but it is, I'm a fan of not trying to cover every single thing in the game or, or, or of the sport in every single session. It's to go with work-ons, it's to go with, Again, I think one of the guys said, you know, I think Ian was saying, well, what, what, where are his strengths, you know? Well, and why are they his strengths? And so then where are his weaknesses? Is it, is it around the green? Is that a, is that a rabbit hole worth going down? Where is he losing his shots? You know, that, that, that they're the things that should be dictating what happens in his practice. And he mentions here that he's spending about two hours during this practice session. And we've talked in, in the past, Ed, uh, you know, about how, how much effort you should put into every shot, no matter, what day or week or what time it is, everything needs to have the same amount of intensity and work involved. And so two hours, if you're doing kind of what we've talked about, Ed, you'd be just completely exhausted. And by the end of it, of, of a two hour training session, you would not be getting much out of your practice, right? I think so. If it, Again, if you're, if you're doing all the things that the guys are saying at the start, that you're trying to get the good context and you're trying to, you know, have have all those elements around every shot. And I think... But but again, there's a there's a there's a lot to be said for the discipline of because of golf you're out there for five hours, you know. So there's a there's an awful there's a lot to be said for being able to have that sustained you know attachment to something, albeit being able to dip in and out of it on the in a, on a round of golf, you know. You because there's so much time between shots, but when it's two hours like that, with the amount of shots he hits, with very little time between shots, I would I would you know assume um, it does. It certainly raises the question of how much of this actually does transfer in the end. That's all, really. It's, it's just a more. It's more. Of a, it's more of a question. Like I, I did. I did something with a guy a couple of months ago, and we were again talking around practice and the range and how to bring intensity. And I said to him, I said, "You know what? 
we're going to you know do do whatever you need to do to get warmed up physically and so on and so forth and then you've got one shot and you've got to pick a shot on the range and that's the shot because we couldn't get on the course for whatever reason you've got a shot here and if you hit that shot well then you you earn five more shots but if you don't you sit down and you don't get to practice and he's like but i'm here to practice i know well well then you got to earn the right to practice and it changed the intensity of the session in in the blink of an eye and then all of a sudden it it went from you know we were there for 2 hours but it wasn't 2 hours filled with shot after shot after shot it went it was built around well this shot matters now and then he you know inevitably he missed a shot or whatever and he was like okay well you got to sit out well i feel like i'm doing nothing now well okay well then you got to make sure that the next time you're over a shot it matters so you know, and I know he's probably maybe not at the same place that this guy is and whatever, but still, it does bring a, that intensity into the practice. And and one of the feedback that this guy came back to me, you know, sometime after he said, you know, one of the things he said that that feeling of that pressure definitely did transfer, you know, because it felt familiar when he was actually then trying to compete. Yeah, I think we need exactly that. And I think we need to know how well this 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 is transferring the practice uh, to the to the performance context. Mm. You know, it does seem to be a bit of an amalgamation of lots of different areas and ideas and thinking, you know, and, and how we're reconciling the the, the, the section of this when we're, we're doing the uh, strike plan for improving strike and now we're, we're working on a movement session. How are those two things relating to each other? So could, could, could you drop one of those things because they seem to be trying to achieve the same thing? How is it transferring? And obviously we've kind of this movement session, we've gone into a, a big sort of technical explanation, getting quite internal and in thinking about the different um, components of, of, of the golf swing. You know, potentially that could be simplified. Quite yeah. So there's yeah, there's, there's clearly <laughs> if it's working, if it's transferring, great. But could this all be scaled down to a 30, 40 minute session, and, and could Christian get as much out of that? Probably. It looks for the back guy. He's trying to be a jack of all trades and master a master of none. If that's been maybe a bit brutal, but you know, like we bit, bit of everything in there. Yeah, there's everything in there. Whereas you know, he talks about his driving being really poor. Well, you know, if I may, just to jump jump in, Rick Rick Shuttleworth, who all of us will probably know. Rick is Rick put out something there a while back, and and it might speak to this. He he he. He brought out a, a, this a quote from from Carl Newell. It was learning movement skills is not a process of repeating a solution. Mm-hmm. It is repeating the process of finding a solution. Yeah. And I think if this guy, because again, so many good things about what this guy's practice is doing, and, and it's really easy for us to pick holes and whatever. So yeah. the, the overarching thing that I think we're all saying is that fair play to him. He's he's putting yeah, some yeah. thought behind it. But if if he can actually approach it that way, it's not about him having to do a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this. But no, if he, if he actually just approaches that, no matter what club he has in his hand, his job is to try and find a solution for what's in front of him and layer every shot with, well, good movement. Because if the, if his if his, if his local pro has said, look, there's a couple of these kind of shots that, that trickle into your game. Okay, well, then let's, let's work on that. But always within the context of trying to hit the right shot at the right time with the right club in your hand as opposed to having to go through the full bag of clubs every day. If he can get into the, the, the mindset of, I don't want to just try and repeat this solution. I actually just want to have loads of... 
and repeat the process of trying to fix this solution. That will transform the kind yeah. of practice he'll be doing because straight away, it won't be a box ticking exercise as we're, we're kind of saying, but it will actually be quite deep work because ultimately what happens in the golf course, we, we love the game because oh, it drives us demented because what we're doing, we're just trying to solve different problems every hole. Yeah. And that, that perhaps goes full circle led back to talking about the, the importance of the information in the environment. Yeah. yeah because yeah. that's part of the problem solving Fair point, yeah. Aspect things. And, you know, I always love that sort of <clears throat> Ernestine notion of the, uh, the the task instructing the action. Yes. Um, you know, rather than kind of practicing a, a solution and going out and looking for a problem, <laughs> um, you know, uh, find find a problem and try and work out the solution. Yeah. And uh, information is obviously so, so important to that and kind of underscores the need for context yeah. in, in learning so that you're making sure the solution is uh, constant, uh, context relevant. I'll give you a practical example of this. I, I play a three handicapper that I've been working with for about a year, and he started playing with a group that are th- three other golfers that are better than him, good, good amateurs, won club championships. All three of them have kind of very little coaching, eh, or formal coaching anyway, and eh, grown up playing on a golf course. Now, Craig's the exact opposite of the other three exact opposite he learned how to play on a driving range he got into golf via tiger woods uh, uh, instructional book highly technical you know swing positions loves hitting balls in the range and just you know he, he swings it really quick hits it great and then he he started he's he he's beginning to understand that that obviously hitting a golf ball in the range and on the golf course are completely different things. And he, the other three are, he hits the ball a lot better than them on the range, but doesn't score as well as the other three. And he, he relayed back a story to me when he was out in the golf course and one of the players said, what are you trying to do in this shot? And he was like, I'm just hitting a golf ball. I've got... And, Basically, he had absolutely no intention. He's got no intention on the golf course because the environment he's grown up in. So he he, he hits hundreds, or well, used to, not anymore, but used to hit hundreds of golf balls to no, no target at all, focusing on, on his swing. And then when he goes on the golf course, he does exactly the same thing. There's no intention there. And, and he's, he's not attuned to what is going on in, in the environment and misses lots of things. It makes perfect sense when he explains, you know, his development history, that he's he's been so focused on just hitting a golf ball well and as far as he can to not not a target. Well, what do you expect when you go on a golf course? I think Graham, you summed it up perfectly there with what Bernstein was saying. You know, don't just spend your day looking for problems that need solving. Yeah. yeah. So kind of the last bit of this is I'm a bad driver off the tee. Lots of off the planet shots. I try to hit 10 consecutive drives in a 30 meter wide imagined fairway. One miss and I start again. No more than 20 minutes on that. And then the last one is 20 minutes alternating shots, short, medium, long distance, wedge, five iron driver, similar. Call it the shape and height. You shot a different club, something like that. So that's kind of how he ends. Yeah, so this, this mainly to Pete, Ed, and well, for all of you really is, what do you think of repeating 10 drives? You get one. 
you know, or you <laughs> yeah. might get two if you hit it in the water, or yeah. three if you hit it in the water yeah. twice. But if you almost like, okay, I get this wrong, I get another nine goes to get it right. Yeah. Do you think that they'd be better off? You'd be better off playing the first hole in in practice. You know, hit the drive, hit yeah. wherever you left. Imagine what you've got left in, or yeah, but and then and then miss. You know, pretend you've missed the green and you've got a chip, and off you go. To me, that would be much better than hitting 10, mm. 10 drives on the truck. So you just then get into into that block practice idea, even though it's potentially variable later. It's 10, 10 blocks and off you go. So by the 10th one, hopefully I've got it right. But it's not actually helped when I've only got one go to be able to do it. No, yeah, I'm a big fan. If you are, even if you are working the driver, like mix, if it ranges quiet, mix up the base angles, have brakes, you know, don't just ball back like, shot after shot but move angles the amount of times you see golfers have a preferred angle that they like hitting at and they'll a lot of I'll, I'll practice that angle but then you know you'll get them to aim at another target and all hell breaks loose that's, a, that's an amazing uh, that, that shows you the power of information and yeah. the, you know the way it reflects back on us because you know we we, we look at the golf ball when we're hitting a shot. We don't look at the angle, but we've, we've, we've somehow let the angle affect affect us. And, uh, you know, ultimately we're trying to propel the ball to a spot in the distance in a fairly straight manner. And we're looking at a golf ball. And, and, you know, that just, to me, underscores the power of the information that we're, we're taking in and, and how that affects our more control. I think it's an interesting one because I think Peter, you and I spoke about something like this previously around the you know the ten drives at the same shot. Yeah, and because again, as you guys would know, or maybe not, I'm not a technical coach, so I I remember you were telling me you were saying there's it's it would be very hard to believe that a guy doing that is not thinking of some technical aspect. Yet when they're on the course, it's unlikely because they're so attuned to the environment they're actually thinking of fairway or something external. Yeah. But when they're on the range doing 10 in a row, it's probably something about their takeaway. It's probably something about where the club is at the back of the swing and all this kind of thing. And I think that's what that's what ultimately makes me cagey of that 10 in a row on the drives. And unless I get them all, I go back to start. Because if that is the case, and we don't know, we're, we're surmising here. But if that is the case, if you are getting to eight and you miss one and that happens a couple of times and you're giving yourself 20 minutes to do this, that's a lot of balls in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's that I would say you are. At that point, it must become almost interminable how how much technical elements are are coming into the swing, as opposed to, hang on a second, I want to pick a point on that ball, I'm going to look at that ball, I'm going to fixate on that, but I'm also going to have the, a really clear image when I'm looking down at the ball of where I want this to go outside there, with whatever that tiny that spot on the leaf of a tree that's 200 yards away that I, you know what I mean, that I'm imagining that's where it's going to. But as you were saying to me before, it's it's almost impossible to think that people are doing these type of shots in that type of rep- repetitive way without having some technical as- aspect that must even a greater likelihood of, of that coming into it, uh, into question if they start getting to seven and missing and eight and missing and, you know, and then going to, you know, as you were saying, Ian's point, well, you only get one shot out there anyway, and you've got to have a totally different shot. The this one again, you know? Yeah. That's again, that's, that's something that came out of my masters. Uh, the right. guys talking about on the driving range, you know, 
the more experience they got, less time they would spend in the driving range because they would go beyond the stage of hitting it good and start tinkering, you know? Because, yeah. again, it's there's little information out there, maybe boredom sets in, you know, and they, and they go, as you quite rightly said, Ed, it's like, you know, they, it becomes technical instead of target-focused. Sorry for jumping in. That's another element that I would have observed only recently where a good player who, or not so much a good player, but a player who, who works on developing that skill about attuning themselves to the environment will also know when enough is enough on the range. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've I've been very fortunate to, to see because I wouldn't have been aware of this skill, essentially, of, of, of people who say, okay, I, I've hit enough, I, I've done enough tune up, I've done enough repair work, I now need to get out of here. You know, that kind of way. And, and it's to have that sense. But again, I think from talking to, to you, especially, Peter, there are guys who get lost in that and will find themselves... Yeah. hours on the range without without realizing it almost you know and you're like whoa i get the idea of of losing track of time in, in practice is a good thing but losing track of time in practice on the range i think can become a very dangerous place especially uh, if, it, if it's not attuning to things absolutely so, i think i think you know if you are working on something you know something that i say if we are working on something technically with the golfers that can help, it's like that exploratory behaviour on the range. You know, yeah. explore the stuff that we're doing. You know, just yeah. you know, think about it. You know, no, just bash balls. It's like if if the club does this, what does the ball do? What's the strike like? You know, and and explore it. Take it to extremes. And and you know, there's there's golden on the edge of chaos. I will say. Yeah, and that's the but but then again, even go back again to that point. Build your awareness of when enough is enough. When yeah. you've got to get away and get on the course. So I just tell you a story of there's a guy, an Irish guy you'll know. I called Owen Morgan, who played cricket for England. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. before one one day game at, at Lords, he went in for his warm up or his net before the game. Hit one ball, hit it absolutely perfectly, and went. That'll do me. I can't hit the ball any better than that. <laughs> He just walked out and, and ended up scoring 80 in the game. You know, this is a coincidence, but but that was perfect. You know, like, that'll do me. I can't hit it any better than that. What, yeah. I'm only getting worse if I stay in here. It goes to that point again. There, That's a skill of knowing where, of that, that awareness. I think that's something that, that pros and club golfers could actually spend, invest some really good time on developing the skill of self-awareness and of and of attuning themselves to the environment and knowing okay I've, I've enough done here or I need a little bit more here or you know that's, that's I love that it's something we've not really touched on I know we've touched on previous podcasts as well the emotional aspect of driving around your golf course you know driving you know I, I got a guy in a lesson today I got him to tell me we were we were kind of we were indoor area, it was dark, so we were kind of a little bit, you know, discussing the limitations of that. And then I, I asked him to name three shots that he'd hit, you know, that just spring to mind. And all of them were on the golf course, of course, and they were a shape, you know, to a target. And it was none of them were on a driving range or a, in an indoor area. It was, the, you know, he'd, 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 there was emotional attachment to, you know, playing on the golf course and, and that, that memory. Yeah, I think there's an interesting historical 
aspect to this as well. And take, picking up Ian's point about Owen, Owen Morgan, you know, kind of going up and hitting one shot and going, yeah, that's enough, off, off we go. You know, that wouldn't be uncommon. And in, in the golfers of kind of yesteryear, where you know warm up session might be ten or twelve balls, and and, and the practice ground wasn't ever somewhere they necessarily went to try and improve it at golf. They would just kind of go, okay, yeah, that's enough. I'm just going to take that to the coast today. This just needs to be good enough. I've got enough know how to turn that into a good score, you know. And then things started to change around the kind of cultural influence of maybe a Hogan, who was the guy who went and kind of you know gently. Uh, anecdotally was beating thousands of golf balls that became the kind of champions model of the day you know and then fast forward to maybe a faldo who on the face of it seemed to do something similar and then kind of driving ranges emerge out this kind of potentially commercial model and the, the advent of the kind of coaching entrepreneur who could all of a sudden you know have been a former player and then kind of make a living from coaching the coaching the game well you need somewhere to do that and fast forward to today, if we would now have golfers kind of out there looking to learn how to play golf in, in, in these spaces, when, you know, historically, that would never have been the case. And don't get me wrong, somebody can, somebody can just enjoy going to a driving range for the, the pleasure of going to a driving range. And Pete, you've talked about this before, you know, you know, just a kind of really stressful day at work, and it's a place to go and relax. And in and of itself, it can be a really enjoyable place to go. Um, we just need to kind of try and make sure that people are maximising that time so that they're seeing more transfer to the to the performance context. So there's an interesting historical perspective to it as well, I think. Perfect. Well, how, how what would we give as advice to Christian? What bullet points would we take away for him to improve what he's doing? That's what we just covered, Cordy. <laughs> well, let's, give him, let's give him the bullet points. Let's give well, him the, the short list point. here. So some short listings. Number one, major kudos to the effort he's put in to date. And I think to almost reward his effort more for him to not feel like he's got to go through the entire bag to actually get a good session done. That if he actually, if he could trade off some of those, and I I don't mean to go to sound a lot worse than it actually is, but if he could trade off some of the, almost the box ticking stuff he's doing and replace that with some genuine problem solving stuff, the things that, that Graham and Peter were saying, you know, the different types of shots and the trade off for some of that and trying to actually create, you know, look for problems to fix. He'll hit less balls, likely, but he'll also, he will develop skills that are much more likely to transfer to the course. That'd be one of the, a big block I'd be suggesting to look at or consider. How would he increase the intensity? How would he go about saying, I know, I know we've said that and, you know, we could shorten it and, how would he go about doing that? What would be the characteristics of that for someone by yourself, right? Let's say you, you do not have anyone to practice with, so you can't do that. So you're by yourself and, and you're just trying to trying to train and, and that's your mission. How do you do that? I would suggest just even the variable practice, which is, you know, mentally quite tiring if you're going to randomize things up and rather than kind of kid yourself on that you're performing really well because you're kind of block practicing, just that searching problem solving behavior in itself should be quite mentally mentally tiring where you come off the range like okay i've had to kind of solve a unique problem on 40 occasions here or 50 occasions on how many of those occasions did i execute a shot that's acceptable to me you know and kind of start to use that as the 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 barometer of what i'm getting out of this session you know i think that in itself 
beyond maybe some of the guys will talk about trying to create scenarios and whatnot, but um, just just swinging it back around to this kind of finding a solution shouldn't itself be quite quite challenging. Yeah, I agree. So, what does a poor practice session look like? <laughs> that's that's episode two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What one when you walk off the range and you think you're hitting it great? <laughs> and from experience, that's always a, a good sign. Good sign that you've had a bad session. <laughs> and that is correct you will have to wait for episode two to look more deeply here at some practice plans and concepts that actually really need a lot of work to get them more effective and efficient so stay tuned for next week Thank you so much to all of our guests today for hanging out, spending the time to record this awesome conversation with us and and helping out a GSL listener here improve their practice and learning. Check out their course, Golf O-Tech, February 15th. Make sure to sign up if you make this one or get on their list for the next one coming down the road. Use the discount code GSL for a fantastic discount. Thanks, guys. And if you're listening and you want more info, Golf Science Lab Insider list completely free. Make sure to head over, sign up for that, golfsciencelab.com slash insider. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. 